0: So we've titled this morning, Prosperity, the the New and the True Prosperity. And I have to tell you, if a king enters the world, how does the king come? Usually there's some fanfare. I remember when the, the young princes were born in England, there was all sorts of decorations put out on Buckingham Palace, and everyone would get their noses through the gates to try and see the little one who's like literally 500 meters away and up 50 feet. And it's just basically a blanket that they could have just held a blanket and everyone went, oh. <laughs> Our king came without the fanfare, at least that most people heard. There were some shepherds, got to hear a heavenly fanfare. Man, what, what, what did that sound like? That would have been incredible. But he came into a stall. He came into a, a, a barn. You know, so when your mom tells you, were you born in a barn? Close the door. You say, my king was born in a barn, so what do you expect? No, but seriously, Jesus was, came as the king. And he didn't experience that prosperity, that, that worldly, material stuff prosperity, uh, I recently found a study done by the University of Toronto, and this is dated November, so like this year, November. So it's new within the last few days, actually. And it's research that was published in the journal Psychology, of Religion, and Spirituality. And they were the first to investigate the science behind the prosperity gospel. So they're trying to look at what happens when people hear the message. Of the prosperity gospel. The study's real novelty is that they also, that it's offering a causal evidence, so the cause and effect of widespread social phenomena going behind the stories that we hear, the anecdotes that we hear of, okay, well, I believe in Jesus, he's gonna bless me, I'm gonna have the new car, my house will be paid off, I'm gonna have everything that God ever wanted me to have, I'm gonna be happy, my wife's gonna be amazing like she wasn't before? Like, really? The effects of prosperity messaging, it doesn't just affect us as believers. In fact, what they did was is they took a recording from a very, very large church, which I will not name, uh, from Texas, and they took out the references of God out of the message And they played that same message to a group of atheists and agnostics. So people who denied Jesus and denied God exists at all. And those who said, well, God could be fine, but I don't think he has anything to do with me. They were equally pumped. They were equally excited and enthused as the believers who had heard the message in person in a church service. And they removed all those messages and they found its success as a growing religious movement might be less about feeling God and more about feeling good. How dangerous is it when we can remove the message of God and there's no difference? Was it really a message of God? It's often touted as the fastest growing religious movement in America, and I would say by extension, North America. It centers around the idea that this material blessing is a part of God's will. Now this means that his teaching put financial prosperity and material wealth, money, and ministry donations above everything else. Now couple that with a demonstrated Positive thought and a prosperity gospel has the ability to introduce intense positivity and optimism in its followers. Now, you may be questioning. So, you know, the, the, it actually sounds pretty good that there's people being positive. There's a lot of negativity going around the world. Do, do we not need more positivity? And I would agree, yes, we do, but not at the expense of Christ. Not when we are putting our material gains. Our faith in Jesus is then put into, well, how much did my wallet grow this month? That's not faith in God. Being positive is a great thing, but that should be an outflow of our relationship with God. Not just because our wallet grew. Jesus actually, in fact, promised us and he warned us that people will hate us for believing in him. They will not want to be with us. They will not like us. We will endure suffering because we follow Jesus and his message. That's what Jesus told us. But the blessing and the prosperity we get, way beyond something I could get in my wallet. It's that relational connection with a God who loves me. And then the outflow of that, the relational connection I get to groups of people, Like these, my brothers and sisters, and many who are watching, wow, that prosperity just blows the other away. I invite you with me. We're going to read together this morning from Zechariah chapter 8, verses 9 through 17. I invite you to find that. You can Google that. You can use your device to pull it up or your hard copy. I invite you to stand with me as I read this morning. Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong. You who in the days, who have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets, who were present on the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. For before those those days there was no wage for man or any wage for beast. Neither was there any safety from the foe for him who went out or who came in. For I set every man against his neighbor. But now, I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts, for there shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit, and the ground shall give its produce, and the heavens shall give their dew, and I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. And as you have been a byword of cursings among the nations, O house of Judah, O house of Israel, so I will save you, and you shall be a blessing... Fear not, but let your hands be strong. For thus says the Lord of hosts, As I purposed to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts. So again, I have purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. You may be seated. Zechariah's message concluded last week uh, with an astounding declaration. Uh, in fact, if you have your, have your scripture with you right there, I encourage you to look at verse 8 of chapter 8, just previous to what we read. And it says this, this is a wonderful, like, this is amazing. In fact, if you ever hear God say this of you, and you will today, you should, it should just erupt joy in your heart, because this is what he says. And I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. Did you catch the relationship there? They shall be my people. God's declaring, these are mine. I love them. And he's also saying, they, I will be their God. What an amazing thing that is. And in fact, if you want to put it this way, as, as an exile who had been... I, you know, I've know, i made light of this in the past. I've kind of said that God was giving them a, a, a time out. He put them into exile. Well, I'm making too light of that, honestly, and I apologize for that if you've missed the point. They were put into slavery. They were put into torture. They were put into desperation. They were pulled out of everything and everyone they knew and sent off to another nation uprooted. It's a violent thing. And now they've returned. They, the remnant that God preserved has returned. So when they hear these words, this is an echo of the promises of the covenant that God has made with them. He, it's exciting for them. Their culture has been driven by this promise. They want to be God's people. They want to be loved. God's presence among His people. Now, we also learned last week that when God is present, so is His blessing. And not because of anything He's done or any action He's taken, simply because of His presence. Isaiah puts it this way, he hasn't done anything, he walked into the throne room with an angel at his side to support him, and he comes into the presence of the holiness of God, and he says, I am undone, take me apart by the atoms, I can't be here, I'm I'm a wicked man, that was just God's presence, God hadn't said anything yet, he hadn't done anything yet. He may not have even looked at Isaiah yet. And that was his response. God's presence is more than enough for everything we need. God's presence equals blessing. Now these people, they're being taught that if they are faithful to the the promise they made, God will be with them again. Now this is a reversal. Remember that separation, that being put into exile. This is the flipping that over on its head and bringing them back and reestablishing the promise. It's just bringing them back into an experience with God who's trying to strengthen them, who's wanting and desiring the best for them. Now Let's dive into the text. Let's look and see how we can encounter a God who calls us and a God who calls them to be faithful. In verse 9, we see this, thus says the Lord of hosts. I'm going to stop right there. Lord of hosts. Now in, in our world and in their world, they had petty kings. They would have had king of a city, a king of a territory, a king of a province, maybe even a king and emperor of an Empire. They would have known that, they would have experienced that, and they would each one be given a certain amount of respect. This is the Lord of hosts who is above every empire, who is above every king, and he's personally addressing them. This is not coming through a separation. The prophet is giving them not his interpretation of God, he's giving them God's word. This is an announcement from the king, the Lord on high, and he's Bracing his people and saying, I have a message for you. I am speaking to you, says the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong. You who in these days who have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets who were present on the day that the foundation of the Lord, house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. Let your hands be strong. You've got to remember these guys, they, they've been beaten they know what it is to be, to be chased. They know what it is to be put down, to persecuted and, and buried under a social system that hated them. Now these guys, and God is telling them, be strong. Now does this sound familiar? A guy named Joshua. Be strong and courageous. It's not the same words, but it's the same intent. Be strong. There is something happening here to encourage their hearts. Why do they need to be strong? Well, they're still in the process of building, physically, everything. As it says here, you've heard from the prophets. Well, who are the prophets? Well, we've got Zechariah. You know who Haggai is. Well, who's in charge of everything else? Well, Zerubbabel. And Yeshua is coming. All of these things have been set up. They know who's in charge. It's a present-day idea of what's going on. And they're being encouraged. Be strong. They're having to literally build with the trowel in one hand trying to lay bricks (laughs) and a spear in the other hand because their neighbors, at this point, want to do nothing more than tear down what they've built and kill them off. Now, can you imagine working in armor, working with a sword hanging off of you and trying to figure out the electrical connections of this light bulb? (laughs) Like having a shield slung on your back just because your neighbor doesn't want you there. And it's not just their neighbor, it's the enemy's attack against the people of God. And God is telling them, let your hands be strong. What an encouragement that must have been to them. Now I do want to highlight here that this is a specific message to a specific people at a specific time. So how do we translate this? What do we get out of this? What can we understand? Well, for them they're rebuilding this. It is it is it is their current experience. It's what they know. Well, for you and I, we can look back on this and say was God distant from them? Was he far away? When I was in grade 8 or not probably grade 9 or 10, apologies on that. On grade 9 or 10, I had an English teacher and he was one of these guys who he believed there was a god. But he was very agnostic about it. God kind of just like, okay, he made everything. He wound that clock up, set the alarm because at some point the clock will stop and he'll interrupt everything. He set the clock down and then went over here to do something else. And he doesn't really interact with that universe because it's over there and he, he's not really personal. He's a creator God, but he doesn't really do anything with it. And this is what I was told in school, that that's what God is like. Now, I firmly believed otherwise, and we had many good conversations, that I don't think God is that distance. I've experienced God at much closer range than that. But that's what is a commonly held idea. God is nice. That's great. I'm glad he's out there. I'm glad he does these things. But you know, he doesn't really have anything to do with me. Look at their experience. He knows the details of what's going on. And we'll see that in verse 10. This is what it says. For behold, these day, before these days there was no wage for man or any wage for beast. Neither was there any safety from the foe for him who went out or who came in. And for I set every man against his neighbor. And that's, that's God's presence. He knows. It's not like they were off in, in captivity and they never got to experience God at all. It's not like God had just, oh, they're gone, I'm just going to forget about them right now. Not at all. It was the opposite of that. He re- preserved his remnant there. He would not allow them to be wiped out. He did not allow them to be separated so fu- fully that they were scattered around the world and could never come back. They were already back. God knew the details of what was going on there. He knows the details of what they're facing now. And what was it they were facing? Well, before those days, the land was like, it was a waste. It was a wasteland. It was, you know, the, the armies that had come to take them away and take them into exile had laid waste to everything. They tore down the walls. They went further than that. They didn't just tear the walls down. They broke the stones. So you couldn't rebuild the wall. They raised and shaved the temple off the hill. It was gone. They took everything of value and took it away. And they enslaved the people and killed off the strong and the weak. That's what they had, they had been through. They knew this. this. This land was now unsettled. And it was a wreckage with their past just strewn all over the place actual fulfillment of curse. Now, where does this curse come from? Well, actually, I'd encourage you to turn with me. We can look into Deuteronomy chapter 11, and this is a summary of the blessings and the cursings that God promised if they would be faithful to Him, the call to be faithful for His people. And this is what he says. See, I'm setting... This is verse 26 of chapter 11 in the book of Deuteronomy. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but you turn aside from the way I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you, do, you have not known. That summary there gives you the idea that if we're faithful to God, He'll be with us. The blessing of the bare basic blessing, which is overwhelming, of His presence. He's with us. He's in us. Jesus promised us the counselor, the Holy Spirit, who comes to be dwell where? Within us. God's presence. Can't get any closer. He's with us. The cursings Speak of the land just being laid waste. Well, they know that. They can just literally turn around and look, <laughs> and they see it. They see the, the fields that are overgrown. They see where, where there used to be a house that their, their grandfather would remember. It's now just a pile of rock with tree growing out of the middle of it. That cursing was very real to them. When things are going sideways... And the challenges in your life outnumber the solutions. Do you think God knows? He knew the intimate details of how things were going for this whole people that had been moved across their part of the continent. And then he brought them back, and he knew the details of their lives. He knew that they would be facing struggles. He knew that they would be working hard by the sweat of their brow to rebuild the temple carrying a spear. He encouraged them. Do you think God knows where we're at today? In our times, things can be hard. The government has tried to support the people. But this results in some very startling financial numbers. Long-term care homes, they're at risk. Mental health issues across the board in every economic strata are creating difficulties and stresses for people. Crime rates. You know, when we first got put into lockdown, the crime rates just plunged. Because even the criminals were thinking, well, if this thing's real, I'm not going out there. Whoa, but then they get smart because humans were very inventive, particularly if we think we can gain an advantage, and the crime rate started to creep up to the point where they're now at and starting to rise above what they were previous. Do you think God knows this, this would uh, the report I just gave you would have been very very familiar to the people in zachariah 's time they faced The enemy, that's why they're carrying a sword while they're building. That's why they have people, if they're not building, they're guarding. And they have people, if they're not guarding, they're feeding. If they're not feeding, they're resting so that they can then take their turn to build and to guard and to feed. They know. They know the isolation. They know what it's like to be cut off. God was still there. And God is still here. He is in control. And this is actually highlighted in the next, next passage here. And this is a, this is a great passage. Jesus, he does this wonderful thing. Uh, beginning of verse 11, he says, But now, you who's speaking, by the way? The Lord of hosts, the king of all kings, the emperor of the universe is saying, But now. And there's something new about to happen. And he's saying, the past was the past, and now I've got, and we're about to hear what that is. But now I will not deal with the remnant, the remnant that he kept, he protected. He knew, he was intimately a part of, he kept the details of their lives in the forefront of his relationship with them. He knew, I kept the remnant, I'm sorry, I've kept the remnant of this people as in the former days declares the Lord of hosts. For there, in this verse 12, for there shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit, the ground shall give its produce, and the heavens shall give their dew. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. He's calling them to say, I'm your God. You will be my people. The blessings are coming. Because what was this, this holy land, this wonderful place of Jerusalem, referred to when, back in Joshua, what was it referred to? It was the land of milk and honey. Well, milk means that you've got cows and goats that have got lots to eat, they're happy, they're satisfied, and they produce an abundance. They've got milk because the environment is great. The honey is because the plants are flourishing, because the bees can now go and they can go anywhere and find the blossoms, and and, and when they go out, they they cross pollinate, which we now, they, you know, they would have just said, hey, they've got bees, look at that. Now we know that that land of milk and honey is abundance. Well, how can the plants be growing and, and be great for the, the cows to eat and, and for the, the bees to be able to pollinate except that God provides the rain. The land is fertile. The, the rain comes and, and it's, it's a great place to be. It's the promise. Well, that's the image that he's putting back here. He actually says that. There will be a sowing of peace. So they don't have to build with a sword in their hand anymore. A sowing of peace. Peace. The vine shall give its fruit. we got fruit, we've got produce, we've got dew. The remnant of the people will possess all of these things. The blessing has come, it's back. He's saying, I did that before, now we're going to do this. What hope is that? What about a future? These people have now stepped from, we're just going to get through, I'm going to plug through. And they're gonna say, "Oh, there's opportunity coming. Oh man, there's so much potential. It's there, and they're starting to get excited. They're starting to get a taste of God's vision for what He wants for them. It's a reversal, and it's kind of like um, the but now that God has done this really cool thing. Uh, as a kid, I, you know, we go into like visit the fire station." And in the fire station, they have this big control board where now it's just a computer screen, so it's not as impressive. But they had this big control board that had, right in the middle of it, a big red button. There was a big red button. And what that big red button did was it set everything in motion. You hit that, the alarms go off, the lights start to flash, and then the the announcement system comes on. And it lets them all know, hey, we got to go do something. (laughs) There's something going on. But then they would hit the red button again, and it would shut everything down. It would reset the system, ready for the next. And that's what God has done now. He's hit the big red button, and he's resetting it. He's saying the promise is coming. The big red button has been pressed. We're moving ahead. We're moving on. Relationship. He's reset their hearts to give them the blessing. This is a big shift. God's no longer, verse 11, it says that he's no longer going to deal with the people as in former days. Things would be different. This is where, you know, we want to hear. This is the, and they're hearing this. They're experiencing this. They get the story of that poor man who makes good, establishes a business, and does well. This is that story of the widow who's suffering, who comes into a fortune. This is that story of the starving family that get a new home. This is the story of that orphan who's been left on the street who gets a family. It's restoration. It's bringing them back. It's a reversal, as it says in verse 12. It's a reversal of the curse. The sowing of peace, the fruit, the produce, the heavens giving their due. They'll possess all these things. And verse 13. It's also a restoring of their reputation and the witness... Their message to the neighbors that God's in control, that God is great, that God is worthy of praise. Because up at this point, verse 12, uh, 13 says, and as you have been a byword of cursing among the nations, O house of Judah, house of Israel, so I will save you. You will be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. When I was a little kid, there was a phrase that I remember hearing my grandparents use, and, and it was always in reference to someone, who, usually a salesman who came to the door. And they said, oh, he's such a cretin. And my grandmother would do that. She would do this, as if she was shivering or something. It was, like, and it was just this crazy thing that I, I didn't really get it. Like, why is grandma doing that? But what it meant was, you know, a cretin is a person who's kind of slimy, It's that person who's got some other motive and you just don't know it yet. It's that person who makes you uncomfortable. They're overly friendly. You know, they kind of come into your space, even just mentally, they come into your space. (laughs) They're a Cretan. Well, that's actually, you know, if you look at where that word comes from, it's actually a description of a place, Crete, an island in the Mediterranean. And at some point in their history, they earned a reputation for being slimy. For being not trustworthy, for being kind of like that really, really bad used car salesman. <laughs> that kind of experience. That's what the Jews, the Hebrew people, the followers of God, have become to their neighbors. They've become the untrustworthy, less than people. And God is saying, I'm going to flip that. You're going to be a blessing. But then he says this wonderful thing. He says, fear not. Now, we often see fear not, you know, and this is actually bookends. Because God does this. Anytime God says something more than once, what should we do with that? Yeah, pay attention. (laughs) You know, if he brings it up more than once, he's trying to make a point here. He says, fear not. But he also says, strong hands. He says that again right at the very end of that. This is the first time we see fear not. It happens here in verse 13. But then it also happens again in verse 15. And the strong hands came, started in verse 9, and now it's said again in verse 13. It's kind of like these bookends that God is saying, I got you. Stand strong. You have nothing to fear. I'm with you. That's startling to me. He's saying, you don't need to have fear. I don't need to live a life in fear. I can tell you, that's hard. It's a call to be faithful and persevere. Verse 14, God's direction. He moves us head with a call to be true. Verse 14, for thus says the Lord of hosts. Again, he's exerting his authority, the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord. Okay, I'm in. As I purposed to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts. So again, in verse 15, I have purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. And again, this fear not is not just fearing the neighbors, but it's like, you don't have to fear from me as your God. I'm with you. I love you. You're my people. This is a future hope. The people aren't trapped in the past like they know in the previous times. This is how it went. And I went after them for that. I punished them. It's kind of like a parent. If you're a parent, raise your hand. If you have a, you know, a spiritual child who so you're mentoring or something, you, 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 know, you, can, you have experienced this. You've seen this. You've, if you were a child, you know, I know you have experienced this. Your parent will tell you, no, if you do that, you're going to be in trouble. And I just pulled out my father's finger. But they also say, well, if you follow, if you obey, then we're going to have this. This will work. <laughs> and you, you, their, their body language changes. Their tone of voice changes. Well, God has just done the same thing. He says, if you do that thing, there's going to be a problem. And by reminding them of their past, of how they failed in this, he's bringing out that finger of a father and he's giving them a warning. But then he's also changing it up. And he's saying, if you follow through, if you're faithful and if you're true, I'll bless you and uh, the, the blessings will come. It's a future hope. The covenant curses on their land, the people and the relationship with God will change. Their neighbors, their issues with their neighbors are sourced in God. The neighbors picked on them because God was saying, you need to get right with me. I'm going to use them to influence you towards me. And instead, they went towards fear. So the covenant blessings on the land, the people looked out and they could see when things were going well, the gardens would grow, the rain would come, the dew would be present in the field, the, the animals would be doing really well. God continues to be faithful to his people. Now, I have to ask you this. Do you trust him? Now, this comes from some of my own experience. Do you trust him when the doctor gives you that news? When you're being rolled down the hallway towards the operation, do you trust him? When life seems out of control and all you can do right now is just hang on and get through, do you trust him? When things are going great, the bills are paid. I'm in a great spot with my in my relationships. Work is going well. Do you trust him? This question actually comes from uh, the greatest command. I'd ask you to turn with me in the book to the book of Mark, and this is one of several different. Uh, Views on, of this particular conversation that Jesus has. He's been in the temple. He's been teaching. The, the teachers of the law have come to him and they've said they're trying to trick him up. They want to find some weakness. They want to find him say something that's against God or the law. They're trying to find a reason they can publicly disgrace him and then get rid of him. And this is what he's facing day after day in the temple. And he's having this conversation. This comes from Mark chapter 12 uh, verse, verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he, Jesus, answered them well, he asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this. He wasn't asked about the second, but he's giving this as kind of one of those, okay, I'll give you this for free. <laughs> The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you're right, teacher, you have truly said what is, that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the burnt, whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw this, that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And you see what happened there? A teacher of the law just acknowledged that the the truth of what they were to live came out of their connection to God to live their lives fully for God in every way, shape, and form. But also that that should result in them loving their neighbors this was the same command because Jesus was actually quoting from Deuteronomy and Leviticus the law that they were still under while they're in Zechariah's time. They knew these laws. They knew this. This is part of what God had instructed them to obey, and they'd lost the heart of it. This horizontal relationship is really highlighted in how we worship the Lord. And how we treat our neighbors. And God addressed that in verse 16. He goes, after their heart first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your soul, with everything you have. And now he's saying this. These in verse 16 of Zechariah chapter 8. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgment that are true and make for peace. Verse 17, do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. The, the, the horizontal relationship. Because they have peace, things are going well, and that's coming. The people in Zechariah's time, they're, they're given giving a hope that peace It's coming. You will be able to sit in the city gate with the doors open, which means there's no enemy at the gate, And the leaders can deal with the relationship issues that are coming to them. Well, he stole this. They did that. They sold this for this price and sold it for this price. And they have to make judgments. And he's telling the leaders, you need to step up and say truth. You need to increase peace. Keep those relationships first and foremost. That's more. Be truthful. Deal with them well. Be a leader who reflects God. God's restored blessing brings prosperity, but not just the material kind. They're going to have that, but they will also have peace. That's the relational kind. That relational peace with God is worth far more than anything that will ever pad my wallet or bank account because that relational peace with God means I have eternal security and God is looking out for me in the deepest way that matters. Jesus, when asked, and when he's teaching the people, he brought in the kingdom of God. And that's what he said to that, that, that scribe who came to him. You get it. The kingdom of God is so close for you. And because he proclaimed it that way, and it just cleared out all the noise and brought it straight forward to the truth. And nobody could challenge him after that. There was nothing to challenge because he's right on the head with God the kingdom of God, and it all hinges on those two things. Do you trust him? Do you know him? This is a call to be faithful. It's a call to be true. And we have to be able to answer those two questions. Do you know him? Do you trust him? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your strength and your mercy, your grace poured out on us. Lord, for this message today, I pray that it impact hearts. Lord, you've taught me. I come before you as your child, that you have said that you, I'm your people I'm, and you are my God. I thank you for this blessing. I thank you for that, that healing. Lord, we lift up our time together, that we will be worshiping you and honoring you. Holy Spirit, you are with us. You're present. I give you praise. And I lift our hearts to you today. And in Jesus' blessed name, we offer these praises to you. Amen.